what we did was we put ourselves in their shoes and we we uh, approached these conversations in a way that um, was mode agnostic is what I'd say. Excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality. These are the values the Sam M. Walton College of Business explores in education, business, and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic Podcast. I have with me today, Judy McReynolds, who is Chairman, President, and CEO of ArcBest, which is headquartered in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Thank you, Judy, so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's it's a pleasure to be with you today, Matt. It really is. Well, Judy, uh, during your career at um, ArcBest, you've, um, you've been in a lot of different positions, but a lot of your experience in life uh, professionally and at ArcBest earlier was in the area of accounting and finance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, you've transitioned, and I want to talk about uh, the journey a little bit in, in a moment. But um, one of the things that has really stood out to me, and I want to make sure we get to this in a moment, uh, at some point in our talk, is innovation, because I think that's been a theme of your leadership and it's really um, clearly paid off. Um, but but before we uh, really get into to any of that, I want to mention to all the listeners that we have something called the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. And the Walton College established this back in 1999 to really recognize Arkansans, whether they're Arkansans by birth or by choice, uh, who've been really successful leaders. Um, and so the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame is designed to honor, preserve, and perpetuate the names and the outstanding accomplishments of these business leaders. It's a way of celebrating the people who are behind the achievements in business. Um, and we we pick people, uh, the committee picks people who are um, – you know, of of uh, significant um, not only achievement but also um, significant uh, integrity, and um, and so Judy is being inducted in February um, at the so it'll be fe- for Friday, February seventeenth, at the State House Convention Center in Little Rock, and uh, if you can come. Uh, you can go to if you if you Google Arkansas Business Hall of Fame. Um, there's you can buy tickets uh, on our website. But congratulations, Judy, on this honor. Um, oh, thank well you. Well deserved. Thank you so much. I mean, I just I just feel so blessed and honored uh, to be recognized. It's it really is amazing and exciting. Um, you know, I've I've uh, actually served on the selection committee years ago, so I I know the process and. And then it being in attendance at some of the um, the events, just really very special. And just the association with the University of Arkansas uh, Business School, Walton College, is also an honor in itself. You know, I, I love, um, I'm ex officio on the committee, but I really love reading through all of the nominations. Um, I've learned so much over the years about business in Arkansas and the people. 
by reading them. And it's tough because every nomination is held for five years. And, you know, we've got so many now, uh, just lot, lots of uh, nominations of people that are worthy. It does get challenging, um, but usually the, the people that are selected came up real early in the conversation, as you know from your experience. But for the listeners um, who, who might not be as familiar with it, um, on our website, we also have videos of every person who's been inducted since 1999. And I actually taught a course uh, a while back called Arkansas Business, where we uh, we looked through some of these and, and studied uh, some of the people and actually had them as guests. Um, it was a fun course to teach. But if you look back at the very the very first cohort was William T. Dillard, um, the, the founder of Dillard's, uh, Charles Murphy of uh, Murphy Oil, uh, Jack Stevens of Stevens Inc., uh, Sam Walton, uh, of course, of Walmart. And um, but each year um, we've inducted pretty amazing people. And and I, the other thing is kind of interesting, Judy, and you'll appreciate this. Joe Ford was in the second cohort. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the people are, are not alive uh, now uh, going way up uh, in the cohorts many years. Uh, Joe is still alive and strong. In fact, I heard him speak recently and it was pretty amazing. Um, wow. But uh, anyway, the, if you if you go and you look at the website, you'll see it's an amazing list of people. And I think Judy well deserves to be on this list. And we're well, very you. proud of you. Well, I wanted to add one thing, which is really exciting, I think, for for me and for our company is in 2023, uh, when this event will occur, it's our 100th year of being in business as a company. So uh, that's that is just really special. It, it is. It's 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 exciting. 100 years uh, for those of you listening that don't know the history of trans, uh, you know, uh, trucking. Um, it's worth looking into this, but uh, back in about 1980, there was something passed called the Motor Carrier Act of 1980, and it deregulated the trucking industry, and thousands of companies went out of business. Only the strong survived. But to be around for 100 years, that was a, certainly a, a key milestone in transportation for our country. And actually a miracle that that was passed and it was so good for our country. Mm-hmm. But you all made it through that. We did. And that was a significant uh, point in history for the company. And, you know, I have the benefit of getting to hear, you know, about that transition from uh, previous leaders that, you know, I had the the uh, experience of working with. But yes, a very unusual time. And if you operated in a regulated environment, uh, just thinking about the transition to, you know, that world of deregulation, um, there were some pretty significant leadership changes at our company that helped enable our ability to navigate through that and navigate well through it. And uh, many of those uh, principles around pricing that we use today were um, key to our ability to successfully um, endure that time and, you know, come out in the place that we are. So interesting. Well, you know, you think about, it, I mean, the company's been around through the Great Depression, 
um, you know, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, um, the uh, oil crisis in the early mm -hmm. 70s, um, runaway inflation and interest rates in the late 70s, um, uh, the 9-11, uh, the Great Recession, and many, many other big challenges. Yeah. And most recently, the pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. When, when we get, sometimes we'll be asked questions about uh, different uh, uh, changes in the economy, major shifts, you know, things that um, are we're faced with or our industry's faced with. And we can almost always say we've been through that. <laughs> we've been through something like that. I and think that's, that's, that's uh, amazing. Yeah. It's reassuring, too. Mm -hmm. It is. For, for employees, I think. It is. So, Judy, I'd love for you to take a moment to talk about who is ArcBest and then also to make sure in the process to talk about your role and your background, some of the challenges you've faced, uh, you know, when you started as C CEO um, and where ArcBest is today. Just some of those topics. And then I've got some other questions as well. Sure. Um, well, today, ArcBest is, is an integrated logistics provider, and we're based right here in Arkansas. Um, in the Fort Smith area, we have close to 2,000 people, um, and our company has 15,000 overall. So that gives you some perspective um, to, about what we have here in Arkansas and then how that impacts the rest of what we do. But, you know, we really see ourselves as uh, keeping the global supply chain moving and you know, um, we have um, an integrated and full suite of, of solutions that really work well for our customers, um, especially whenever they're faced with supply chain challenges. It just it comes across so well for them. But, you know, what is uh, remarkable in that hundred years that I mentioned is really our people. Um, we have uh, endured a lot of different circumstances, but that really has been a constant you know, throughout. I remember, um, you know, when I first uh, took my role, just recognizing that after going out and shaking hands and being with people across our company, just the longevity um, of people and the care and concern that our people have for our customers. Um, we also have great customer relationships. And, you know, many of those have been around, um, for a long time, 80% of our customers have done business with us for 10 years or so. And, um, you know, so that's that's a really good, solid, what I like to think of as foundation, you know, for success. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing for me coming into my role as CEO in 2010, as you mentioned, you know, some of the challenges that, that, that we have faced, well, one specific one was the Great Recession as I was taking my role. So in 2009, the year before I was asked to be CEO, or actually the year I was asked to be CEO of the company, we lost $100 million as a company. And there were uh, just certain circumstances that that arose that caused that, you know, we, we were facing the Great Recession, the impact of the 2008 financial crisis. Um, and then also there was a bit of a price war in our, in our uh, competitive group. And the reason for that was, you know, there was one company that was close to being out of business, which is still in business today. So whatever they were trying to do didn't work. 
Um, but it put us uh, a company that really had those solid relationships and wanted to defend them, you know, in a difficult spot. But, you know, when um, I was looking at the situation, thinking about what was good and what needed to continue and then what needed to adapt and change, you know, I really was able to stand on those people and relationships. And, um, you know, what, what's interesting was the knowledge that we gained through that, um, just looking at ourselves, trying to look at ourselves through the lens of a customer, thinking about those green shoots, those things that we saw that were going well. Um, you know, we really had a lot to think about, um, but it centered around our, our customers and our opportunity that honestly we had already invested in. So we just pursued a change in the company that really was um, to position ourselves to better address the opportunities that we had in those customers we knew well, and that we knew we could execute with the people that we have at the company. And we find ourselves today uh, a $5 billion integrated company with many logistics solutions when I first took my role, um, we were 93% um, an LTL, a less than truckload carrier. And so there's really been a great transformation in the company, you know, since I've been in my role, which is now, it's kind of hard to believe, but 13 years. So it, it is, it's been an amazing journey indeed. And congratulations on that. Uh, yeah, and I have to say, um, even though, I know you're an integrated logistics company. I have known ABF Freight for so long. Yeah. That still sticks in my mind. Oh, and, sure. Right. And, I, and it I, should. I, it's good. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I'm aware of your acquisitions and the new things you've, you've done, which is um, pretty amazing. But as you said, ArcBest looks like a different company today mm -hmm. than when you took your role mm -hmm. and um, as CEO. Would you tell me a little bit about the journey and what this growth, growth strategy entails? Well, um, when I look at uh, us now, you know, it really is somewhat satisfying, although we still have so much more to go. Um, but, you know, we um, we really looked at um, through market research, um, data gathering, insights that we had from our customers at what they were spending their dollars on, how they were approaching, you know, uh, success in their own business. We looked at ourselves and we said, we want a better match um, what our customers are, are spending their dollars on, what matters to them. And one of the more significant decisions, I'd say, um, was to say, okay, if I'm the shipper, I'm the customer, and I'm trying to develop a successful strategy for my business, um, I might not necessarily choose just LTL um, as my solution. So, uh, you know, what we did was we put ourselves in their shoes, and we, we uh, approached these conversations in a way that um, was mode agnostic is what I'd say. And, um, and that was really, really important because if you think about the risk involved in that, it, it might not result in you having the same business that you had before. 
And uh, we had to get to a place where that was okay with us, that that was our path forward. And customers really appreciated it. And, and so, um, but another thing that we did that really, it synchronized well with some training that we had been doing for years was um, an approach that was really more about the solutions that a customer needed rather than it being just a service conversation about one solution. So, you know, we were we were training our people to understand a customer's business, know what was important to them, understand where their challenges were and what could make them successful. And and we so we had very experienced people um, doing that. And as a result, you know, we learned that that um, close to 80 percent of our um, accounts were uh, comfortable buying logistics services. Um, in many cases, they were spending a lot of their dollars on truckload solutions or some consolidation of shipments into truckload. Um, we learned that uh, we had some specific um, um, expertise that was valuable in uh, premium logistics and time definite type solutions. And so one of the things that we did in 2012 was we bought a company in Ohio called Panther Premium Logistics. And um, it, it folded in really well with those interests and needs that customers had at the time. You know, sometimes they want a shipment moved uh, exclusively on a vehicle and it's not to be combined with other shipments like you do in an LTL operation. And so that worked out well, was successful. Um, and then um, a more recent acquisition we made was MOLO, um, and that stands for Modern Logistics. It's a, it's a company that's based in Chicago, a true truckload broker. The great thing about MOLO was, you know, that just the success that they had already had, you know, with their customers, larger customers, but that that gave us even a more solid truckload solution. So we, we had our LTL network ground expedite uh, and premium logistics through this Panther acquisition. And then we, uh, in a more fulsome way, were able to offer, you know, truckload based solutions um, as well. So we put that together and we're uh, facing the customer as of 2017, you know, as ArcBest um, with this set of solutions. Um, and um, it, it really has worked well for um, our, our customers. And, you know, today we have solutions that are um, unique to each customer. It might be a supply chain optimization. They might want us to manage their order fulfillment. They might want us to find carriers for them to do business with. And so it is truly a, a logistics company that um, works on behalf of that customer. Um, and, you know, that's very different than just executing in one solution. But, you know, I mentioned all of that because it really did take courage and great listening skills, um, willingness to look at ourselves and be disrupted or transformed. Um, and um, I think the pandemic has shown us the agility that's really necessary in the business. You know, there are many customers that might have approached their uh, business uh, very differently pre-pandemic than they do today, for instance. And we have to be willing to be um, 
adaptable with them so that we're doing the right thing. You know, I, I've really enjoyed watching your strategy um, change over that time frame since you've been CEO. And um, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, when it was really clear to me you were making a big change strategically. You invited me to your rebranding event. Oh, yeah. I can't remember uh -huh. what it was called. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember was, what year it was. Well, 2014, we rebranded the company ArcBest, but in 2017, we did that, what I would call a, 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 an enhanced market approach where we were facing customers, you know, with ArcBest as the company with uh, the solutions that we've been talking about. Yeah, that, that's the event I was thinking of. And I, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I thank you for allowing me to participate in that because it really gave me clear insights into, you know, as I was watching the news and seeing press releases, it helped me understand what you were doing. But, and, and so it's clearly been an effective strategy. But one challenge you always have when you create new strategies like this is putting a structure in oh, to manage yes. that mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, how have you done that? Well, um, first, it starts with the, the knowledge or the idea that you have to be collaborative as a group of leaders. Um, there are many uh, cross-functional um, efforts or teams that just have conversations constantly in this in this uh, approach that we use. It actually is harder uh, to execute uh, inside the company um, than because you're trying to make it easier for the customer, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. And so when we did this enhanced market approach, we combined um, our customer facing groups into one. So field sales, for instance, you had before you had LTL salespeople or you might have, tr you know, truckload salespeople. But we we put that together and we're approaching, you know, sales um, in a uh, combined way. And then um, marketing, our training and development, which is a huge part of who we are and what we do um, is a combined effort. Um, and our pricing philosophies, you know, had to come together um, as one. And so whenever you do that, you're, you've got uh, leaders, the my direct reports that really work across solutions. You know, for instance, you know, the person that's the chief yield officer uh, has responsibility for um, pricing uh, in ABF, the LTL network, but also you know, with our um, our truckload offerings. And then when those kind of uh, work across, for instance, as a customer might utilize both, or even, you know, in those managed solutions that I was talking about. So, you know, I my direct reports um, have to work across the organization. They're in a functional area. So, you know, um, customer, I have a chief customer officer. Um, that has responsibility for those customers that we've been talking about. And, um, but, you know, has to really not look at the business just through one silo of a service offering. And, um, you know, we have a training and development team that has to be nimble across that. We might have some initiative or something going on in one of those uh, solutions to, to better serve our customers that has to be addressed. Um, and our people need to, uh, really embrace the thought or the idea, which I believe most of them do, 
that we're doing the best thing, you know, for uh, the future success of the company um, as we're executing the business. But, you know, I never underestimate the difficulty that we can have in some instances because um, these decisions, you know, have to be um, reviewed as, you know, what maybe is good in the short term or long term, for instance, for, you know, a, a specific account or a decision. And, um, you know, so so there are those difficulties, you know, that that we have at times. Um, you know, when we when we're doing an integration of a of a new company like we bought Molo in it's basically a year ago, um, when you bring that together, you have accounts that were their accounts. You have accounts that are ArcVest accounts. How are you going to deal with that? You know, so we've had to navigate through that and do the best thing for the customer. Um, but you know, it takes people with integrity, um, character willingness to both listen and share, raise their hand when there is a challenge. Um, and uh, we have to kind of come together and address these things. We don't always agree. Um, and that's healthy. Uh, I, you know, my leadership style is one where, you know, I feel like um, it's not all about something I want to do, just one person, but, you know, we have to listen, uh, collaborate, develop those best thoughts and strategies and action plans and and go execute. Um, but we have different ways we do that. Our our strategy team meets once a quarter um, and then uh, we develop what those initiatives or action plans are to achieve that strategy and we meet on those monthly. Um, and behind them is an allocation of resources um, that has to match up. It has to make sense. And as you know, the world changes so quickly, those priorities can change. So we really have to stay in sync and and uh, not get too far from, you know, the issues because uh, you'll look up and you won't be in the right place. Well, I uh, I mean, of course, I'm very familiar with uh, ArcVest and I'm aware of some really cool things that are going on at ArcVest. Um, and, but I'd like to hear how you think about innovation. Well, um, we have the benefit of this history um, that we were talking about earlier, you know, being a business a hundred years um, and just being able to say that is it's just pretty exciting when you think about the word innovation. It's like, well, you wouldn't be here today <laughs> if you weren't uh, uh, willing to disrupt yourself, uh, be innovative and and transform your business. So uh, we really do believe in the power of that. And we believe that we have a lot of expertise and experience with it. Um, but we, we spend about $150 million um, annually that's dedicated really to um, innovation. Um, it can it can be spent in running the business, which you know is good and necessary, but can also be spent um, on doing something transformative for the business. And I think you know uh, Michael Newcity, who was yes. uh, he graduated from the Walton College, the MBA program, I think too. And he he is the leader. He's our chief innovation officer at the company. 
and um, very, very capable and uh, just always, he's a lifelong learner. And that, you know, that's something that's really important in this area. But something he reminds us of is that we need to spend more of our dollars transforming than we do on running the business if we can do that. And and that's what he tries to achieve. And I, I thoroughly embrace that. Well, I, I have a question about that because I, I know Michael New City well. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he graduated undergraduate with... Uh, Information information systems degree from he, Walton College. He did, uh-huh. and he um, was summa cum laude, um, which is not easy to accomplish. But also in his MBA, he was summa cum laude. But the other thing that's noteworthy, especially given what you're talking about here, is he received the Donald W. Reynolds Governor Cup Award, which is uh, for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And and I know that when he first started with you all, he started as uh, something to do with emerging technologies. I think it yeah. was emerging technologies, something along those lines, which I, I remember, you know, I didn't know him very well then, but I thought that's kind of a neat title. Yeah. Uh, well, as you you know, Michael, so this won't surprise you, but I'm going to say is you know, whatever role Michael has, it develops around him, you know, because he just has such a unique uh, skill set. But, you know, when uh, what's interesting about Michael's area, um, as we are looking at the history of time or the, the period of time, I guess is a way to say that is since I've been in my role, uh, you know, I'll share some things with you um, about that. Um, in 2015, um, so kind of midway in my time in my role, you know, we uh, restructured ArtVest uh some areas, uh, our technology team, what we call economic analysis, which is one of the areas that Michael worked in, as in addition to what we've mentioned already, and our innovations team into what we call today ArcBest Technologies. Um, we did that um, kind of in sync with the rest of what we talked about to better align our business initiatives. Um, we wanted to dis, you know, just disrupt ourselves because we could see that we would be disrupted if we didn't do it ourselves. And we wanted to generate those thoughts and ideas. And it was very helpful to do this reorganization. Um, so we introduced also in 2015 um, advanced analytics as a discipline. And we began doing work uh, with predictive and prescriptive analytics. The next year, we launched the, the uh, project and portfolio management office, and that was really to help us advance these initiatives, uh, make sure that we were prioritizing well and optimizing our resources because we knew we had to get a return on these dollars that we were spending. So that PMO, that project management office was just a very important thing as well as what we did in 2015. And, and then since then, we've, uh, we've launched an innovations accelerator uh, that you're also familiar with. And uh, in 2019, we put in a cognitive engagement team. And so all of that is kind of working, um, you know, again, to help us invest well, get a return, but also in, throughout all of that, you know, you're disrupting yourself. Um, and that's been really critically important to us. We, you know, one of the risks that we faced as a company when I first took my role was if you just stood still, if you just kind of 
cut costs and just stayed in the same place, there's no way that we would be the company that we are today. We might, you know, might not have had success at all. And so you're actually taking a risk by not doing anything the way I see it. And so you need you need to take calculated risk and really put yourself in the best position. And these changes that I described in the, the we call it AB Tech, it's really ArcBest Technologies, but in that group really helped us in the business accelerate our success, the visibility that we have of um, emerging, you know, either uh, opportunities or technologies that could be used in the business. And I'm just really proud of, of what we've done there because it, it helps us to, again, you know, see ourselves in a different way, perhaps more outside in is a way to think about it than just, you know, working with the existing business, the existing way. I, I'm going to mention this. I don't, you don't need to comment on it necessarily. You're, you're welcome to, but I have to say, um, you know, coming from your accounting and finance background, <laughs> the strategies you've rolled out surprised me a little bit. Now, not to say, I mean, you know, accounting and finance are extremely valuable, and there are lots of innovative people that go into it, but the degree to which you've emphasized this was noteworthy. And and I agree with you, you know, there's a risk in not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned calculated risks. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the financial kind of perspective Mm-hmm. does help a lot when it comes to innovation because you don't want to take uncalculated risks. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and uh, of course, as I've been, uh, you know, there's there's some risks that, you know, it's hard to see where the IOI, ROI is going to come from. They're more like an option, you know, value. But there's some that you've got to have more of them that have clear ROIs, or at least you're thinking right. through the ROIs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where understanding or thinking from a microeconomic and a financial kind of perspective really can help. Uh, you know, one thing Thomas Sowell was famous for saying was, uh, you know, there there aren't any solutions, there's just trade-offs. And, you know, uh, when you were talking about this, this function that uh, you created within uh, ArcBest to prioritize all of these things, the portfolio, uh, of, of innovations. Um, I've not seen that a lot. Uh, it, it is fairly unique. It is. You know, what's interesting about what you just said is, um, you know, the, the ROI, I think what where you were going with that is that the ROI can sometimes be something that is in an Excel spreadsheet or it's on paper, but is, is it real? Yes. And I think that's one of the things that I learned from doing those calculations on the one hand for people when I was CFO, for instance, um, and then being in my role now, there's a discipline. Um, In some ways, it's a change management discipline that you have to um, put your energy into and the people that are executing these strategies have to get behind because you've got to be able to track it and look back and people have to be enabled to, to execute whatever the change was that was going to result in the return. 
Okay, so maybe it's a technology that you're uh, making more visible uh, the pipeline of customer opportunities and you're creating leads and you're allowing them to, you know, see uh, that lead and then go execute. Well, you've got to track whether, you know, they they actually produced revenue from that, right? You know, or if it's a cost efficiency, you gave, you know, you put together um, a system that um, enabled, um, you know, a, a change, uh, one of the things I was thinking about just this morning was city route optimization, you know, as, a, as an efficiency example. So you're trying to optimize the route that a truck is going on to either pick up or deliver freight. Well, you know, if you've got a, a city route driver that stays on course and does that, even though maybe their institutional knowledge tells them to do something different, you know, you're you're going to uh, have success if the if the return model told you to do it based on the optimized route, right? But if that person chooses not to, then you you know then then perhaps you don't ever get the benefit of that investment that you've just made. We understand that you, in addition to having the model or again the calculation, you have to go and execute and you have to track you know, what was uh, an, a part of that calculation, a key metric, so that you can um, test yourself to see whether you've gained the benefit or not. And um, that's, a, that's, that's one of the things that I come back to with our people. I started talking about our people when we uh, began our discussion. And if you don't have good people that are willing to um, embrace uh, change and opportunity and really get involved in understanding um, what you're trying to accomplish. It's very, very difficult to um, transform the company to gain either growth or efficiency without it. Well, you know, in our conversation this morning, you've mentioned growth several times. In the current environment over the last two plus years, this isn't an easy feat. Um, can you talk about how you've been able to continue to grow at ArcVest? Well, I think it starts with positioning ourselves in large markets. You know, we operate in markets that um, are $500 billion, where if we were just in the LTL market, uh, it would be about 50. And so what we've done is positioned ourselves where we've had, you know, a real ability to grow based on the markets that we're in. And then um, because we've done this work to understand the opportunity that's in our customers, we know that we have customer opportunity that could allow us to double the size of the company. We're a $5 billion company, but we can see $5 billion more of opportunity within our loyal customer base. And, you know, so like I was saying, if you create visibility for people uh, to understand whether it's in a territory, you know, what those best accounts are that they can go pursue, or it's just additional solutions that um, could be of interest to a customer that you're already doing business with in one area, that's what we want to do. And that's what we've we've done is to try to, you know, make visible these opportunities that we know are there. Um, and then, of course, be willing to invest in the solutions that allow you to 
go and uh, be successful, you know, with that business. But, um, you know, it, it really um, is exciting when I think about the business and the information that we have uh, today versus what we had, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. It is amazing. But it could just be a lot of information. You've got to make it live. You have to put it in front of people. And, you know, that's what many of our investments are around. Um, but, you know, and customers continuously have um, challenges that are new. Um, it, it always amazes me, you know, what we um, can help with. And so being in those conversations, um, visiting their sites, having them visit here, taking them over to the innovations lab, letting them see some of the things that we're working on. Um, it just really is um, a successful formula, you know, for growth. When you can see the opportunity, you know where it is, you've got great resources to go get it, and you're willing to put dollars behind um, enabling those people to be successful. This is such a great case study in innovation in general and strategy and structure. Um, and it's clear from talking to you that you have um, – very well structured thoughts about how to achieve and succeed with an innovation uh, strategy. So uh, congratulations on that. And um, it's it's awesome that, you know, uh, you um, have been able to really transform the company um, in so many ways. Um, and congratulations once again on uh, your induction into the Arkansas Business Hall of Fame coming up in February. Uh, that'll be a wonderful event, um, well-deserved, and uh, thank you for taking time to visit with me today, Judy. Oh, thank you. And and again, it's a blessing and an honor uh, to be in the, inducted into the Hall of Fame. I'm just very excited about that. I'm excited for um, all of our employees as well. It's an honor. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.